This episode is brought to you by Roundtable Group, the experts on experts. We've been connecting attorneys with experts for over 25 years. Find out more at roundtablegroup.com. Welcome to our show, Discussions at the Roundtable. I'm your host, Michelle Lux, Assistant Project Manager with Roundtable Group. Today, our guest is Dr. Michael Einhorn, an economic consultant and expert witness who specializes in intellectual property, media, entertainment, licensing, antitrust, and personal and commercial damages. Thank you, Dr. Einhorn, for joining us today. You are welcome. Thank you. Well, let's go and talk about your interest in economics. Why did you choose that direction? I was first interested in mathematics, politics, and law, and economics presented a good combination of personal interests for academic study. I went to Dartmouth as an undergraduate and received my PhD from Yale. I then worked at Bell Laboratories for three years and went on to join the faculty of Rutgers University in the economics department. So when did you start your work as an expert witness? I started to work as an expert witness in the year 2000 when I became involved in litigation involving entertainment and copyright. Copyright became a hot issue at the beginning of the Digital Millennium Copyright Act and the Napster case. From copyright, I moved on to work in patent, trademark, antitrust, and commercial damages. So how did you jump from economics to intellectual property then? A central idea of economics is to establish the market prices or licensing fees that would result in a comparable market situation, which is also the legal standard. An expert skilled in economic concepts would go ahead and use those skills to determine valuations for litigation. Intellectual property involves two measurements that economists are concerned about. The first matter is valuation. What is the valuation of a license or the valuation of actual damages resulting from an infringing work? The second measurement is unjust defendant profits. You want to figure out how much the offending party has earned from the improper use of a copyright or trademark. There is also transactional work related to the sale of intellectual property. What did you learn from working in the government? I worked in the antitrust division of the U.S. Department of Justice from 1991 to 1997. I was involved as an in-house economic consultant in the antitrust division for attorneys who were active in telecommunications, utility, and antitrust cases. Did you find that you developed your expert witness experience in the Department of Justice in separate ways than in the private sector? Yes. Acting as a non-testifying in-house economist at the Department of Justice gave me the opportunity to work with lawyers where our communications were protected. It is here possible to have detailed conversations with lawyers and parties, hear the ups and downs of the particular case, and offer insights that are not discoverable in court. The Department of Justice often uses inside work and then proceeds to hire outside counsel to testify to the soundness of its argument. The DOJ economists stayed off the witness stand and therefore could maintain privilege. So then what about the transition from antitrust to media and technology? I first served as an economic expert in copyright cases and filings and wrote a number of articles for the Journal of the Copyright Society and Entertainment and Sports Law. I went back and wrote the book Media, Technology, and Copyright, which was published by Edward Elgar and distributed to nearly a thousand libraries, most of them law libraries. That book involved chapters on copyright, patents, trademarks, 
publicity rights and open source software. Did you find that those cases to be more engaging than the others? More interesting. Law cases are always interesting. I enjoy cases with good economic issues, careful forensics, and lots of practical learning about the workings of law. When the valuation issues are complex, it is an enjoyable process because you not only have to devise some analysis, but you also have to get the point across to attorneys and the court in clear language. And you have to have some strategy issues. There's an opposing expert and you'll go to a deposition. Here, an expert must be very focused on law, express points simply, and let the other side understand that you're gonna make it to the stand if you have to. So we're going into year three with COVID. Have you seen a shift in direction in regards to litigation? From a litigation standpoint, there is a COVID delay in the courts. It takes a while before things get lined up in front of the judge. But this can be an opportunity for an expert. It gives you more time to get organized and more opportunity to think carefully about your work. So then, Dr. Eihorn, what is the attorney-client privilege? The attorney-client privilege means that certain communications between attorney and expert will not be disclosed to the other side. The only thing the other side gets to see are the materials that the expert actually relied on informing his or her opinion. The other side then is not entitled to see other communications or general matters that did not go informing the submitted report. It is very important to me to make sure that our communications are protected as much as possible. That allows me to tell the client what I think of a particular argument or I think it can be troubled down the road. This complication may not seem like the easiest thing to hear at the beginning, but it's something you need to know when the motions start coming in. Before taking a retainer, I try to review the complaint and public information to let the attorney know everything I see as early as I see it. Do you try to make your reports focused or open-ended? I try to be focused at all times. I do not like to leave things vague or open because anything I say can be used against me in a deposition or court. That having been said, a plaintiff expert must establish reliable proof of damages in the first place and a sufficient causal connection from the purported infringement to the sought remedy. I've written quite a bit on the causal connection in the Journal of the Copyright Society. With attorney advice, I will consider strategically what the other side may do in response. If I'm working as a defense expert, some attorneys like a direct rebuttal, while the others prefer to add an affirmative valuation. With the latter type of report, we're able to neutralize the other side and then put up what we think is the right valuation if the matter does go to court. So what is your deposition strategy? Do you find that the matter to disqualify to be a considerable issue? Just write a straight report and talk about it. An attorney once advised me that there are six interrogatory words to watch out for. We have who, what, where, when, how, and why. The first words, who, what, where, and when, are simple questions that require simple answers. The words how and why are critical. Each involves more than an easy answer. Just keep the response simple, answer the question, and be consistent with the report. And don't say anything more. Let them follow up with another question. When the other side asks you at the end, if there's anything you want to add, the invariable answer is nothing because I know that anything I say can lead to trouble. If you keep the answers narrow, your attorneys can come again at the end 
and try to straighten some things out on cross-examination. Explain, but don't educate the opposing counsel. Do you find that you assist attorneys in writing questions and motion documents? All the time. I always try to assist attorneys on cross-examination on the other expert and limiting motions related thereto. One of the things I am determined to do, if at all possible as an expert, is to stop the opposition from wanting or choosing to go to trial. Settlement is a very good idea when it comes to the client who's going to pay for the work. One of the best ways to do that and make the other side see reason is to call them out in the deposition. Many times your expert does not understand how out of line they are, and the attorney does not understand how much the expert has left behind. So what happens when you go to trial in front of a jury? You should know questions that would be asked and have a visceral but not memorized response on what to say. Look immediate and natural. The one thing I have learned is that these things can be very uncertain. Juries are ambiguous and judges can issue unfriendly instructions beforehand. If I'm on the stand, I try to be as direct and consistent as possible. I know exactly what I wrote and what I believe. What about the visual illustrations? Visual illustrations are a considerable matter for discussion. I've had one attorney who insisted on taking me through a whole deck of slideshows to show every dot and detail of five different contracts that the other side entered in the course of 15 years. We entered the slides and evidence beforehand. In another matter, the attorney took me through my report in 20 minutes and was focused as possible with his questions. We use visuals only as illustrations of the report. We were very successful in both instances in reaching the jury and educating them on the facts of the case. The ultimate answer here depends on who the jury is, where the jury is, who the other side is, and who the judge is. You must always establish the response that leads the jury to understand that you are being as forthcoming as possible. That is part of the process of educating a jury. And I think that's where experience in a variety of cases with different jurors, different attorneys and judges helps you be successful. You have a wide variety of opponents and situations that you're up against. You need experience, clear thought, instinct, and a lot of horses. <laughs> well, Dr. Einhorn, I appreciate your time with us today. Your insight into your background and talking about your career. Thank you. Thank you very much, Michelle. Thank you for listening to our podcast discussions at roundtable our show notes are available on our website roundtablegroup.com subscribe today on apple podcast or your favorite listening apps 